Hey y'all, this is Cold Cases, Cults, Murders, Oh My, and I'm your host Pamela, with my dog Sam, and we're on the case. You may be wondering what the case is today. Well, before I get into that, let me just tell you how my week went. So, I had to go pick up vehicle from Spring, Texas, and bring it back to where I reside, kind of. I had to bring it back to work. And so anyways, on the way back, it's like, think a monsoon of rain. And then finally, you know, the monsoon had stopped. So we're driving down the road and I see this animal on the side of the road who has tragically met his end or hers anyways. Uh, And in my mind, I think, oh, that poor kangaroo got hit. Also in my mind, I think, wait a minute, I'm in Texas. Why would there be a kangaroo on the side of the road? So I realized that it's a deer, but I still go forward with, did you see that kangaroo on the side of the road? Or I thought it was a kangaroo at least, but then I realized it was a deer and the lady in the car with me just like, oh my God, she was dying. I was dying. It was a little crazy. So you guys, if you want to know how my week is going, well, or how my week went, well, um, yeah, I'm seeing kangaroos that are actually deers. Because trust me, there are no kangaroos running wild in Texas. If there were, that would be like super fun though. But yeah, they're not. So let's get into the case. This case took, this case took place on November 6th. 2001. You may not have heard of this case because, you know, there were other things that were also going on at that time. Uh, You know, like the World Trade Center had been hit a few months prior and uh, apparently there was a famous person who got in a plane crash, but I can't remember her name. There was a lot of big news going on and we were super focused on 9-11 and all of that. So you may have missed this story, as did I, because I've never actually heard of this case until I decided to research it. This murder involves three women at a hair salon. So, you know, if y'all were wondering what my hair salon clue was, there you go. Uh, It happened in Florence, Montana. So um, I don't really know that much about Florence, Montana, but I'm going to give you a quick rundown. Uh, Apparently, Lewis and Clark, you know, those explorers, they went through there and like their guide, they were on the river and the guide was like, okay, well, this is where we get off the river and you should probably rest here because it's a long journey and you need a nap to catch some game so that, you know, you got something to eat later. And uh, this was actually in something called Bitterroot Valley, which is where Florence, Montana is located. So it's in the valley. Originally, Florence, Montana was called One Horse, Montana, because the river, it ran alongside of the sawmill and the name of the river was One Horse. So they named it that. Uh, Later on, however, an A.B. Harmon would come along and... Well, he decided that he wanted the name to be Florence. So, you know, well, he's a wealthy person. And I never really found any articles telling me whether or not he actually lived in the town or if he lived in Missoula. So either way, I mean, he was like, I'm just going to tell you people that the name of this town is now Florence. And why was that name so important to him? Well, so in, in most pretty much all, but one report I found that it was his wife's name, Florence Abigail Harmon. 
However, there was this one article that said that it was his daughter. So for those of you who might happen to stumble upon that one article, I just want to say, yes, I saw it. But we're going to go with he named the town after his wife. And uh, don't you know, there were some unhappy wives and husbands in that town. I just imagine like, you know, the husband comes home with a bunch of flowers that he picked out in the field, maybe an apple. And he's like, hey, honey, I'm home. Here's some flowers and an apple. And she's like, really, really, Joe, let me just explain to you. Why don't you name a town after me? You know, A.B. over there, he named a town after his wife. Why can't you do that for me? Uh, so, you know, the husbands are like, because I'm not rich like that or pushy. I assume maybe he was pushy. I don't know. But anyways, there is an interesting place that you can go visit in. It's like nine miles from Florence, Montana, but it is in the Bitterroot Valley and it's called Three Mile Wildlife Management Area, which is about 6,059 acres. And they have activities like wildlife viewing, bird watching, hiking, biking, and hunting. So um, I'm just going to point out that, you know, Hiking, biking, hunting seems like an unsafe place to be like biking and hiking if you get shot. Also, I have some questions, Montana, about this particular place. Uh, so in Texas, we have something called wildlife drive throughs So like, you know, you drive your car through this person's pasture and they got like um, camels and zebras and some cow looking animal that could possibly be a cow, but I don't think it's supposed to be a cow. And kangaroos, they have kangaroos. And uh, so anyways, you know, coming from a state that has quite a few guns in it, we don't hunt those animals in the wildlife drive through So I'm not really sure what this particular one looks like, but you can apparently hunt in it. So if you're hiking and biking, I'd say be careful. If you're a mountain lion, you better run because somebody's going to shoot you. I found it interesting because like, you know, we have wildlife drive throughs So I was like, also, I read in this one article and I just want to say that I hope this guy was wrong because he said that like you can hunt mountain lions, raptors, and I forget what else you can hunt because I was just focused in on the fact that you could hunt a raptor, like a dinosaur raptor, because then it's kind of like, wow, in the middle of Montana, we just have dinosaurs roaming. Something to think about. Also, if you wrote the article talking about raptors and there are no raptors, you should probably go back and fix that. Just going to throw that out there. So they also have this thing. So like these people came and they planted these apple trees. It's the Macintosh apples. And the interesting thing about that is that they have a celebration. So like if you find yourself in Florence, Montana, or just in Bitterroot Valley, you can go to the Macintosh Apple Day Celebration and Liquid Apple Night Festival. One of them you're probably going to have a really good time at. I'll let you figure out which one. That's enough fun facts about the area. Um, we're going to get into the crime part now. I know that's what you came for. 
You didn't want to know all about that. I just thought, you know, maybe let's get kind of a picture of the town. Like it's in this valley with mountains. and It looked really pretty from the pictures I saw. Like I said earlier, the crime happened on November 6th, 2001 at the Hair Gallery in Florence. At the time, there were about 900 residents in the town. There's not a lot of people there. That's one thing. Like this is one thing that really makes this unique is that, uh, the crime happened in the middle of the day. So like people were just going about their business when this crime happened. So a lady arrived at about 11 o'clock for a hair appointment, no, for a nail appointment. So she goes into the front door and she sees a body lying in a pool of blood and she nopes herself out of there, which I mean, who's not going to do that? She but before she leaves, she did call. She like steps over the body and she calls 911 and tells them that, hey, uh, I'm at the hair gallery and there's a dead person in the entryway. So I'm going to head out and wait for you to get here. So she went out and waited for the police to get there. They got there relatively quickly. Um, it was the sheriff's department who came out in. I'm probably not going to say this right. So I apologize, Montana people for my mispronunciation of it, but Ravel County is where this crime happened. Like, that's who came out, the, the sheriffs for that county. Um, so when the police got there, they went in and they did, in fact, find the body of Dorothy Harris, who was 62 years old, and she was also the owner of the salon, just laying just inside the doors of the salon. Upon further investigation, they would find two more bodies that of, um, they would be in the utility closet, and it would be the bodies of Brenda Patch, 44 years old, and she was the salon's manicurist, and also in the utility closet, they found a customer by the name of Cynthia Paulus, who was 71 years old. Uh, so they quickly realized that all three ladies had had their throats slit, and that was most likely the cause of death. They could not clearly identify whether it was with a knife or some other sharp object that this had happened. The crime scenes were incredibly bloody. You know, this put this town on edge because they had never had something like this happen. They were a small town. A triple homicide in the middle of the day was increasingly rare. There was young there was one young boy who said he came home to find his door locked and he was like, Well, how am I gonna get in my house? And then he found out about the murders and that was why the door was locked. And his mother would later go on to say that uh this is Florence, Montana, not LA. Those quotes are from like an article that I read and I also watched a documentary with it in there. The sheriff who was in charge of the crime or like in charge of the investigation, not the crime. Uh, he he said that the fear in Florence was so real that like you could like once you got into Florence, you could like reach out and touch that fear. Like it was a living, breathing thing. Another thing that made this case difficult to solve was the fact that there was nothing at the crime scene. Uh, the, the perpetrator 
did not take anything. It just appeared that he came in and he killed the ladies and then he left. Uh, So they didn't really have anything to go on. So they reached out to the public and the lady who had called into the salon, she said, sorry, she said that she saw a man exiting the front of the building as she was going in. And she found this odd because nobody ever used the front. They always went through the back door to get into the salon, but she didn't really think too much of it. It just seemed kind of odd. She also told them that the man was wearing a fedora or a top hat and a dark coat or business suit. Uh, There were several other people who had spotted this man as well. And they were like, yeah, we saw him. He was like walking down the road or, or they just saw him. I don't know. So he was just walking down the road and people noticed because he kind of stood out like nobody knew him from town. And so obviously that caught their eye. And they also said that he was about six feet tall and in his late 20s to early 30s. And again, I say, I don't know how y'all know. I would just be like, well, he was really tall or he was really old. I wouldn't be very good with like, oh, he was about 30 and weighed five hundred pounds and was five nine. They didn't say how much he weighed though, so that's not important. But anyways, so the police, you know, they're working on it, but they could just not really find any connections. But I did watch this one YouTube video that I found really interesting because he brought this connection. Uh so about nine months later, I think, um, there was a murder in Nebraska in a small town that was also on a main highway. And the perpetrator had come to to a bakery and had murdered two other women and just left their bodies. Like he took a little bit of petty cash, but not very much. And so it was like... They they kind of connected the two, but not really. And in the end, the uh, sheriff in Florence would say, I was pretty sure that it was somebody from Florence. However, later they would uh, discover that there was a man by the name of Brian Weber who had once lived in Florence and another guy named Lincoln Bevels, Bevins. I'm not really sure, but you know, he's a criminal, so it's okay that I don't know how to say your name. Mr. Criminal Guy. Brian's name was brought up because, you know, he knew the town. So then he was also connected to Lincoln, who was a major drug dealer. And at first they believed that maybe Lincoln was owed some money or some product was lost. And so he sent Brian down to Florence to send a message, which would make sense because so Lincoln was the distributor. Brian was the enforcer. So like you steal my stuff, I'm going to send Brian and he's going to give you a message kind of thing. And so at first they were thinking that, oh, one of the ladies there, one of their family members had gotten tangled up with Lincoln and had not had lost some of the money or something that they owed him. And so they were paying him back by sending a message and the other ladies were just sort of caught in the crossfire, I guess. Well, not fire because it was a knife, but you know. And so then later on, 
they would go to find out that maybe it wasn't a family member, but actually one of the ladies themselves who had gotten tangled up with the drug dealer Lincoln and had not like gate like had lost some money or misplaced it. And so he came to collect on his debt, I guess. But I want to be very clear that I didn't see a report anywhere that said that this is the case. Like this theory is speculation from a local reporter. So you can take that with a grain of salt if you would like. However, uh, I believe it was five years later in 2005 that the sheriff would arrest Lincoln Bevins and Brian Weber for the murder of the three women. However, so Lincoln, he made a deal with the with the feds on a drug charge that was unrelated to this particular charge. And so they dropped the murder charge in order to get him on the drug charge. And Brian Weber, there wasn't enough evidence to prove that he was the one who had carried out the murder. So they dropped those charges. However, he did go to prison at the time for drug charges and he would be in and out of prison prison pretty much to date. I believe that he is actually in prison serving a sentence for drug violations. They left it open on Brian's case that if they ever found evidence, they could come back and prosecute him for the murders of these three women. So as of right now, this is considered an unsolved case and it is open. And just some like sad facts, I guess, kind of that I found or to tell you a little bit about the ladies. Um, So Cynthia actually had just made the appointment that day to go into the salon. She had had one further out, but something had come up and she was she went ahead and went in on the 6th. So technically, she shouldn't have even been there. Uh, When her son heard the news, you know, he didn't think anything of it. He didn't think, oh, I should call my mom and make sure she's okay. Um, And he said that the night before him and his wife decided to go up and see his mom and her husband, Jerry, who like the family is not like super close and stuff. So apparently this is not something that's normal, like just popping in on your mom and being like, hey, I thought I'd stop by for a visit. Um, So that's not a normal occasion. So they went up for a few hours and then he said that whenever whenever they they left and they were getting in the car, they they weren't big huggers either in this fa- in their family. And he gave his mom a hug, and she they both said that they loved them. Like that, sorry, they both said they loved each other. And then he got in his car and he drove away, and that was the last time he saw his mom. Um, I believe it's Dorothy who was the matriarch of her family. And so she was very much missed. And Brenda, she was loved and very much missed by her family. This is a very tragic case. And the fact that, you know, it remains unsolved because they can't find enough evidence to prove that Brian is the one who went in and killed these ladies is really sad. Um, Also of note, the two ladies who were murdered in Nebraska nine months after this, their cases have also not been solved. I would just like to say that 
if you have any information about who killed Bren- Brenda Dorothy and Cynthia, uh, they have a new detective on the case, and his name is Detective Sergeant Matt Cashel, and he can be reached at 406-375-4024. And uh, just to be sure you got the number, if you know something, uh, it's 406-375-4024. So if you know something, you think, oh, it's not that big of a deal, but I did notice whatever, you know, make that call. Let the police decide whether or not it's a big deal. I mean, these women deserve justice. Their families deserve justice. I just hope that... Oh, and if you know something and you feel uncomfortable going to the police or whatever the case may be, you know, y'all have our email address. Just shoot me a message and I'm willing to help you. I'm willing to make the call. Whatever needs to be done. But if you have information, please, please reach out to the law law enforcement in Ravel County or the detective sergeant Matt Cashel or you can reach out to me and I'll reach out to them. Just don't stay silent. Speak up for these for these ladies and for their families. So that is really all that I have for this case. It was relatively short and sweet, I guess. Uh, but I want to say that we are very grateful that y'all listen and We have some really big stuff coming up. I'm not going to tell you what it is because, well, it's kind of going to be a surprise. And we really appreciate it if you would subscribe, download, like, give us five stars, whatever's possible on your platform. It really helps us and our podcast get noticed more. So we appreciate that. And we will see you next week. Bye.